Grateful to be in this season of Seek. As you know, we've, since the beginning of the year, as we do every single year, we've entered into this series called Seek, where we're seeking God. We believe what happens at the beginning God blesses the rest. If we devote our first, uh, God sees it as a a total devotion to him. And so we've gone through each week. uh, We kicked it off by talking about prayer and fasting and what it looks like to seek God first. And then we also had uh, Doug preach on the Holy Spirit and habits. And both of those things go together. The Holy Spirit can help us with different habits and, and, and disciplines that we're trying to put in our life as they're devoted to the Lord. And then last week we talked about um, breaking out of heavy seasons and dark seasons. It's something that we we all face and we all experience, you know, maybe you know somebody or you yourself had uh, gone through a season where uh, it's just heavy right now. And, you know, there's mind games going on and, and the darkness is heavy. And um, that's something we all experience. And so if you missed last week, uh, go ahead and listen to it. Or if you know of somebody who needs to hear it, jump back into last week and share that. You can find us on YouTube and Apple podcast, all the places that you could listen and subscribe. You'll find us on there. But uh, in this series of Seek, I know that we're we're drawing near to God. We're getting near to God. I also feel this morning that you're drawing very near to me. We added about 40 chairs to this auditorium because we're full. Praise God. Amen. That we're growing. Uh, but I, I mean, I really feel like I could take your notes for you this morning. But uh, that's a good thing. But encourage you to do that today is get out your Bible, get out notepads, get out a way that that you can take um, not information a way that you can take God's truths with you today. This is kind of an old-fashioned theology lesson today. We're going to look at some some truths that we need to know and we need to have um, because I thought about it in this seek season. If you've walked with the Lord for a bunch of time and you hear that we're stepping into a season of seeking the Lord and devotion, you know, Christians get excited about that because they're like, oh, it's going to be a season of breakthrough and it's going to be a season of God answering prayers and it's going to be a season of blessing. And and we understand that we're seeking the Lord this way in this regard. But then we get to think about what about the person who doesn't have a clue? What about the person who doesn't know how to seek God? What about the person who who doesn't even know where to begin in a relationship with God? Like, how would they seek and how would they pursue? And so do you know that the uh, one of the blessings in that? is that we, the church, are called to be the people who come alongside and teach them how to seek the Lord. So I got five truths here. I wrote it down like this. I have five things that must be in place for us to be a follower of God. And it's good for us to know them, but it's also good for us to be able to share those things with other people that we encounter. Can I get an amen today? Let me pray and then we'll jump into that. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for today. Lord, we know that you are moving and speaking. God, we know that as we hear from you and as we receive things that touch our heart, God, we know that that's not just emotions, but God, it's your spirit ministering to us today. And so God, I pray that as we hear your truths, God, I pray that you do speak to us in every way as we hear your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to do that today. I want to talk about the five things. What are the five things we must have in place to, to be a follower of God, to be somebody who, who is committed in following God? But at the same time, I want you to keep your mind engaged in the sense of like, what are the five things that I need to know to help somebody become somebody who can follow God and live a life of seeking God? What gets complicated is this fact that I'm about to share with you right now, which is this. Did you know that in America, just in America, this isn't every religion This is just Christian denominations. Did you know that there's about 200 different Christian denominations just in America alone? 
Now we could get into long lessons about how that ever happened, but people would have an interpretation of scripture and then there would either be a disagreement or somebody would have a revelation and they would say, no, we think the denomination should go this way and the style should be this. And we believe this about this and all of these splits and things begin to happen all over the place to the point that now we have 200 different Christian denominations in America alone. They say worldwide Christian denominations. I'm not talking every religion. I'm saying just Christian denominations worldwide. There's 45,000 different Christian denominations. So when we say something like, hey, um, I'm a Christian. Do you know that there's 45,000 different scenarios or ways that that could be interpreted? And so for us as a church, we got to say, well, how do we interpret it? And for us personally, we got to say, well, what does it mean for me to be a Christ follower? What are the processes that are in place in my life in order for me to be a Christ follower? And so I want to take a look at those today. And I'll say it off the bat, and this is a good note take for you to take. This is our strive as a church. This is where we come out as a church. How do you ever decide, uh, as, as Baby Yoda would say, how, how do we ever decide what is the way? <laughs> What is the way? Well, this is what we do as a church. We're a non-denominational church, so we don't have an an affiliate to to exact denomination. We're non-denominational. But here's what we strive to be. We strive to be what we would consider a New Testament church, which gets its example from the book of Acts. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Now, what is the book of Acts? The book of Acts is where you begin to see the birth of or the beginning of New Testament church, meaning the disciples are involved. There's this, there's this new forming and formation of church. Are you guys still with me? Yeah. I'm going to be a little bit teachy today, but we're going to line all this up. And so we're saying if it's in the New Testament, because we're not subscribed to old ways of doing things and old, old, uh, you know, this person's preference and that all kind of stuff. What we follow is we follow the Bible, the New Testament, the way that God set it for us. Can I get an amen today? Amen. So the New Testament, the book of Acts, is where we get our preferences really before politics got involved, divisions begin to take place. This is the early church, the first church. This is where we get our formation. And so there's five things that we see in the early formation of the church that we know that we need to have in our lives in order to be this follower of Christ that he called us to be, this complete follower of Christ. And so step one, whether it's for your life, or you're helping somebody who does not know God, because the reality is there's a half a million people right now in a 30-mile radius of us. So a 30-mile radius of us, there's a half a million people right now that do not know how to seek God. Scripture says they're unchurched, or the statistics say that they're either de-churched or unchurched. They have no clue how to begin a relationship with God. If we understand these five things, we can help them on their journey to becoming a Christ follower. And how many know that's the purpose of it all? Can I get an amen today? So here's the first thing that must be in place in order for someone to begin to follow God or in order for us to be on our journey with God. The first thing that has to happen is people have to hear. They got to be able to hear. I wrote it down like this. You can't know about Jesus until you hear about Jesus. It's impossible for us to worship God if we've never heard about God. It's impossible for us to obey God if we've never heard about God. The first step in in any kind of journey with the Lord is we got to make sure that people are hearing. There's this saying uh, that we've all, every pastor's probably preached it before, and it's a great truth. It's by St. Francis. It says this, it says, preach the gospel at all times. And then it says, but use words if necessary. 
Now, this is a great encouragement to be like, hey, your lifestyle should be such a lifestyle that people can look at your lifestyle and just read the gospel and understand the goodness of God simply by looking at your example. And then it says that you to the point that you don't even have to use words. And that's a great kind of encouragement of live in such a way. But the reality is we actually have to use words for people to hear. We got to be a people who know how to share and speak. And people got to hear to share your faith requires speaking and being able to share. And so while it's a great example of, hey, preach Jesus and use words if necessary, the reality is words are necessary. I thought about to pray for somebody. If God's called us in in this lifestyle of seeking and and pursuing and helping and being there for others, I mean, to pray for somebody, it requires us to use words. The first step in all of this is people have got to be able to hear. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says it this way. How then can they call on the name of the one they have not believed in? And how then can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? This hearing is a big part of this process. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? A big part of how we seek God is also how we seek to share our faith and share the gospel and share the good news of God to other people. Verse 17 says this, consequently, faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Like if we're going to get anywhere, if we're going to get this thing off the ground at all, we need to be a people that one are have the ability to share and to witness. And again, I know I'm being repetitive, but we've got to make sure people hear. Why do you think one of the number one attacks of the enemy right now is the enemy is trying to silence the voice of Christians on every platform? Because he's eliminating step one. He says, hey, if I can knock step one down and there is no mention of God on TV, there is no mention of God. I mean, if we can take them out of schools, if we can take them off music, uh, it's amazing how suppressed uh, you go online and you try to look at music. I always look through new music and I get all these other suggestions of all this other trash on Apple Music. And at the very bottom of it all is, oh, there's your worshiping Christian music, although their data and their listening is just as high as all the other ones. There's just this attack on the ability for people to hear. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. The good news in, could I let you in on a secret? The good news is the more the enemy tries to suppress, the more we grow. The enemy's been trying to suppress for a long time. He keeps making the same mistake because the more he pushes down, the more. Are you with me today? So we have to hear Revelation chapter one says this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of prophecy, this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. This passage ties my next point together, but it says this, blessed are those who hear. We've got to be a people who hear. First step in building this life of being a Christ follower and helping other people is we get people in a position to be able to hear. But then the next point is this. We have to go from hearing to my next point, which is point number two, is believing. You got to move from hearing to be a person who then believes. Hey, I've heard of God. I've heard of the good news of God. I've heard the gospel. But now, like this says, we got to move from hearing to we got to let it be in our heart. We have to believe it. It's interesting. You can't commit your life to somebody you don't believe in. Oh, I come today, Lord, and I commit my life to you. I, I don't believe in you. I don't believe there is a God, but I'm committing. It wouldn't make any sense. I mean, know oh, that you can't take your sin to somebody that you don't believe in. I need forgiveness of this sin. This baggage is just too heavy. Although I don't believe in God, I'm taking it. It wouldn't make any sense. We need to have a belief. 
You wouldn't want to spend eternity with somebody that you don't believe in. But yet the gospel is all wrapped up in eternity being uh, transitioned to eternity with God. It's somebody that we have to believe in. Mark chapter 16, verse 16, is it says this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. John chapter 5, verse 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Hearing and believing becomes this new pattern that you see in the New Testament in the early churches. Hey, we want you to hear. That's how you know. That's how you find out is we got to be speaking and sharing and proclaiming. That's how we hear. But then the next thing is it needs to move into a place of believing because hearing and believing is the thing that now gets us to the next step. John 6, 29 says this, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who was sent. Now, this is where I'm going to say something a little bit controversial, and it's this, belief is really important. Like, believe, hearing is great, and believing is really, really important. As a matter of fact, belief is actually essential. You have to believe. We saw that. But let me ask you, let me say it to you this way. Belief is essential, but is it enough And my answer is no. Hearing and believing are both vitally important, but is it enough? And my answer is no. The reality is this. They say 80 to 85% of Americans believe in God. You go to the grocery store right now or you walk around a restaurant, you say, hey, do you believe in God? They say, yeah, I believe in God. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. And most, most people would say, according to statistics, like I believe there's a God and I believe that there's a God. But then when you begin to refine their belief You say, okay, so you believe in God. So then you believe that that God, who's the creator of heaven and earth, sent a perfect son to earth who took on flesh and blood, and his name was Jesus Christ, and he dwelt among us, and he died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins so that you might spend eternity in heaven. You believe that too, and then the number jumps below 50%. I don't know if I can believe that, a man who came and lived a perfect life. And so the belief actually isn't there. Think about it this way. This is why I'm being extreme in this. James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way in James 2.19. He said, you believe that there is one God, even the, he says, good. You believe that there's one God. He says, good. He said, but even the demons believe that and shudder. Something beyond hearing and just believing in God Something needs to take place in us. There needs to be a conversion of this has got to get in my heart to such a way that not only have I heard it, not only do I believe in it, but then it becomes something that convicts me and changes me and then leads us into the third step that we have to have in our life, which is this word repentance. I've heard it. I believe in it. Now, listen, when I say you believe it, you don't have to fully understand it all. Believe and understand are two different things. I don't understand everything about the Bible. How many in this room would agree with me? I don't understand everything. But what you have to do is you have to say, God, I believe this is all truth. And though I don't understand it, you know what I'm talking about. So you hear, you believe, and then you allow repentance to come into your life. Now, repentance is a church word. If you haven't been around the church very much, repentance uh, means to turn away or to do a 180. Repentance and forgiveness are different. Uh, We can go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness countless times. You could be stuck in a sin. You could be stuck in a thing. And and continually, every single day, you're stuck in this place of sin. And you you feel bad about it. You've made this decision and you truly feel bad about it. You say, God, forgive me of this stuff. And he forgives you of your sin, but you stay in that same place. And you sin again. You don't get the help to get out of it. And you stay in that place of sin. Repentance works like this. God, I have come to the place 
that I am so sick of this, that I want your forgiveness and I repent and now I'm 180ing, I'm turning away, I'm getting from that place. That's repentance. James, uh, the, the scripture goes on to say it uh, this way. Acts 3.19 says, repent then, turn to God so that your sins will be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know, we've made repentance a bad thing in church. We've made it a shameful, uh, harsh thing. We'll, we'll come in and we'll say things like this. You, Turner, you know, the old Turner burn. Turn or burn. The devil's going to get you. You need to repent. But the promise of the scripture is actually this. Hey, if you're a person who's, who's, who's walking in repentance, the scripture says that God's promises, that's actually a time of refreshing for you. Hey, I, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be stuck in this cycle anymore. I'm going to repent of this and I'm going to turn. And the scripture promises that you'll find yourself in refreshing. It's a beautiful part of this five-step thing. It's like we hear and we believe, and then we repent because that repenting brings refreshness in our life. Can I get an amen today? Acts chapter 26, verse 20, talks more about it. It says this, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and all of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. What is he trying to say here? True repentance should show itself. So, hey, I've repented and I've moved from this thing. And now because of the fruit of that, you can see in my deeds that I'm no longer that. Can I get amen today? And then after repentance becomes another big part of our journey. And it's my point. Number four, we need to be a people of confession to be a follower of God. This is a practice. This is a habit. This is an act of worship that we see all throughout the New Testament, which is confession. Now, you may come from maybe a traditional style church or maybe even a Catholic church background. And you might associate uh, confession with going into a booth and, and saying things to somebody, confessing things to somebody. That's not exactly the intention of what the New Testament church meant. To confess is to declare. I want you to hear this because you're going to see it in scripture here. It's to declare. Now, when we confess, it's to declare. Maybe it's in a sinner's prayer. Maybe it's just in your own, uh, own uh, heartfelt to the Lord declaration. It's to declare things like this, God, I am confessing or I am declaring that I can't do this on my own anymore. Like one of the patterns of following God is being somebody who can declare, um, I, I need you, Jesus. It's my confession today that I need you, Jesus. Uh, you might say, it's my confession today, it's my declaration today that, God, I need your help or, God, I've sinned. It is this confession that we walk in that we have with God. It's not so much going before a person and, and confessing, these are the things I've done. It's saying, God, no, I'm declaring in my life, this is how I need you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 says this, whoever acknowledges me before others... I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Speaking of declaring, whatever you declare in front of others, whatever you're, you're open and out there about. And then it says this, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Romans 10, 9, where we would get our sinner's prayer or our salvation prayer model comes from Romans 10, verse 9. It says this, if you declare with your mouth, that's the same thing, confess. If we declare, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, there's the believing. So we got confessing, we got believing. We've also heard. 
says, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and is with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. Your faith, again, is believing and declaring. It's all put in this. Why? Because this step process, these five things are all a part of our journey of salvation. Is this okay? Is this making sense for you guys today? I know I'm kind of machine gun today. But let me say it to you this way. Uh, as much as sometimes we've maybe erred on the side of confession being a booth to a person, uh, non-denominational churches have also erred in this way of turning confession into just a repeat after me experience. You might have gone into a service and somebody gets up and the pastor says, hey, confess this after me. Say this after me. Now, we actually say that in the part of our sinner prayer and when we lead somebody in salvation, but many denominations and charismatic expressions have minimized salvation to just the confession piece. It's not hearing. It's not believing. It's not repenting. They just say confession. All we got to get them to do is just do a confession. Can we get them to just repeat these words after me? And they cut out all the other parts, and it's a disservice. We can't major on just that part and skip the other part. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? confession, again, it's, it's coming before the Lord and saying, hey, I've heard and I've believed and I've repented and now I'm confessing my need for you and my belief in you. Am I making sense today? Yeah. And that's how we lead in our life and that's how we, how we lead other people is because in that confession is power. And then the last part, I want to spend just a little bit of time on the last part, the fifth part, there's sort of like an exclamation part that you put on top of all of this. And it's this last part, point number five, and it's to be baptized. You would see in the New Testament all throughout, and I'm going to give you some examples. You would see these believers, they would come together and they would hear and they would believe and they would repent and they would confess. And then they would say, now where's the water? I need to be baptized. I need to slam dunk this thing. I need to put the exclamation mark on this process, this journey that you've put me on. And therefore I want to be baptized. The New Testament, of course, was written in Greek. And so the Greek word for baptism is baptizo, which means to immerse, to plunge, or to submerge. So it's this really like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to be a person who says I've heard, I've believed, uh, I've repented, I've confessed, and now I'm ready to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of my Lord Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. It's this submergion. It's this understanding. Every New Testament church believer, every single time they went through the first four steps, they then said, bring me to the water. Where's the place that I can be baptized? I wrote it down like this. Baptism is the response of the culmination of those four other things. Hearing, believing, confessing, repenting, and then saying, hey, I need to be baptized. We actually see this sort of in the Super Bowl of preaching. Peter, of course, Jesus, one of his best friends, if not his best friend, uh, they say that he's preaching on Pentecost. Pentecost being uh, an event that we still celebrate today because it was such a Super Bowl of this ministry time. And so Pentecost is happening. There's signs and wonders breaking out everywhere. People are being led by the Holy Spirit to speak in other languages. It's this, it's this mighty outpouring that's happening. It's also happening in Jerusalem. So it's sort of on the biggest stage, if you will. It's in New York and Peter's preaching and maybe second to the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most famous times of, of preaching and, and a message going forward. And so all of this great stuff is happening. In the scripture, I don't know how he ended his sermon, but it sounds pretty abrupt. I don't know if Peter actually did like a mic drop. You know, he did like, Peter out, you know, Seacrest out. And it was over, but the, we're going to read it here in a minute. The scripture says that they come up to him after this big, mighty moment uh, on this grand stage. And they come up to him and they're like, like, hey, what do we do next? God comes and says, hey, now what do we do? 
And uh, the passage doesn't say, okay, you've heard all this. You've been inspired. God's moved in a mighty way. What you need to do is go get yourself a new King James Bible and get your name printed in the lower corner. That's your next step. It doesn't say, oh, what you need to do next is go on your social media and, and reshare this and preach from there and do all this. It doesn't get into any of that. We see in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. He says, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The story goes on to say that over 3,000 people were baptized in that moment. Now think about this, the Super Bowl of it all. Think about all the fanfare and hype around all of this message and all the things happening. It wouldn't have been simple for 3,000 people to be baptized. Of all of the things that Peter could have answered in, if baptism wasn't a huge part of our walk with the Lord, then why would he have said baptize? Because it's a huge part of our walk with, the God, with God. It is, it is a powerful, significant moment that every single one of us who follow God should experience. And he's saying, hey, you want to know what the exclamation mark is? You think this is good, what God's doing here and this whole big thing. You want to know what the exclamation mark is? Make sure you're repented. He talked about one of the steps. Make sure you are. And then after that, go do the exclamation mark of get baptized. Are you with me? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says this, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Scripture saying like baptism is connected to that. Jesus, the all power at heaven, his authority, all of this kind of stuff. And, and Jesus is saying, like, in baptism, we're connected in all of that. You might say, oh, Pastor Josh, like, I've been following Jesus my whole life. Like, my whole life I've been following Jesus. I've never been baptism. Like, does, baptized, does it, does it really matter? Does it really matter right now? I've been following him my whole life. Here's what I would say back to you is uh, if Jesus did it, how much more so should we do it? Let me show you how Jesus did it. I'll close with this. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, also his cousin. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and then you come to me, and then you do me, like you come to me. And so he's saying, hold on a second, Jesus. Like, Jesus, why would I baptize you? You're God. He understood, like, why would I baptize God? This is crazy. Why would I baptize God? And listen to what Jesus said in verse 15. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then the scripture says, then John consented. Jesus said, listen, it is proper to fulfill all righteousness that I be baptized. So you hear, you believe, and, and we have repentance, and then we have confession. And to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus is like, get baptized. Get baptized. It's a big part of the story to fulfill all righteousness. And then verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. In that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and I am well pleased. Think about this. Something powerful happens when we come up out of the water. It pleases God the Father. It's the same thing in our lives. When we follow the example of Jesus and we are baptized and we go under that water and we come up in new life, do you know that heaven goes, yeah, that. 
that right there, that pleases me. That is something that pleases me. You might have the question of like, well, maybe uh, uh, for you, you were a baby, you were, you were sprinkled as a child, or maybe you had an infant baptism or something like that. And I, I'm not here to throw stones at any other style. I think the Lord sees the heart of all that kind of stuff. But when you begin to look at the New Testament church, you don't ever see an example of somebody choosing on behalf of somebody else's baptism. It was always an individual choice. Nobody did it for anybody else. We also see Jesus' example. His parents brought him to the temple at a young age for dedication. At a young age, he was dedicated, but then later in life, he was water baptized. I mean, you know what I'm talking? And again, I'm not trying to throw any kind of shade. I'm just saying, as a church, we look at the book of Acts. So my question for you would be, you know, where are you on it? Did somebody make a decision for you at another time in life? And now you're at a crossword where you say, God, I've, I've lived out all these other things with conscious of my own decision. I've heard, I've believed, I've repented, I've confessed, but, but now I, I want to, in my own decision, be baptized. We would love that honor yeah. to do that in your life. Next week is Baptism Sunday, and you have time to get signed up for that. Uh, you have time to get prepared. We don't call anybody out. You don't have to come up with a message or say a speech or anything like that. It's your way of, before your church family and friends, it's your way of making an outward expression of that inward change that God has done in your life. And I encourage you to do it. If Jesus himself said, hey, to fulfill all righteousness, this is important. Romans 6.3, I'll paraphrase, but it says this just for time's sake. It says, do you know when you're baptized, you're baptized into the death of Jesus. But then the scripture says this, but when you come up raised up out of that water, you're also raised up in the same new life that raised up Jesus from the dead. That's what the symbol, that's what the power of baptism is. Here's what's also amazing. Jesus, and I'm done in one minute, Jesus says this. He's leaving the final message to his disciples. He's leaving them with the great commission. He's like, hey guys, this is it. I'm ascending to heaven. Here's the mission. Here's the message. Here's, the, here's what I need you to go do into all the world. This is what all the world needs. Okay, guys, he's saying this is what all the world needs. I need you to continue on doing this. What is it? It's the great commission, which is this. Go into all the world, teach the gospel, and baptize. Baptize. It's in our great commission. The last message and mission from Jesus is to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Think about this, church family. Look at me. Check this out. Think about this. Next Sunday, you will witness the great commission being fulfilled on this stage. People have heard. They've believed. They've repented. They've confessed. And they'll be baptized. And heaven's looking down like, yes, that pleases me. We nailed it. The great commission is being fulfilled. And if the Holy Spirit is prompting you to be a part of that, I'm encouraging you, sign up, be a part of it. Let God work in your life. Put that exclamation of the journey that God has brought you on. Can I get an amen? Kids men's talking about it today. So have a conversation with your kids. If that's something they want to be a part of and they have the understanding, obviously you took very copious notes this morning. You'll be able to lead them in this whole sermon. But review it with them. Ask questions. If they feel ready for it today, then we would love for them to be a part of it. Students, our youth group is going to talk about it tonight as well. We'd love to see your students raised in new life. The expression of what God has done in their life, we'd love to see that. Amen? You can sign up on the website. You can sign up in the app. But don't do it because I preached about it or I said it. I want the Lord to lead you in doing it. And, uh, and I believe that, that you'll experience that power in it. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for the way that you love us and lead us. Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing. God, we in advance say thank you 
for that great commission being fulfilled. Lord, the way that you're leading this church. God, I pray that you nudge every person in the way that you would have them go next week or in this time. And God, I pray that no discouragement comes. If their heart is moved and stirred, God, I pray that you walk with them this week, encouraging them, reminding them of the truths that they heard today. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.